0: You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. For those of you who are interested in self-discovery and healing through hypnosis, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to book a free consultation. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden, and today we have with us Neil Gahani. And Neil has worked in product management for 15 years, but is now focused on mental health and well-being. He's involved in regenerative capitalism and has founded an organization called Mind Lumen, which helps people to become more informed in terms of choosing psychedelic practitioners and retreats. And we'll get into a lot of that at the end of the show and give you some more information on where you can find out more about that. For the moment, welcome, Neil.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. It's great to be with you.
0: We've been planning this for some time, and I'm so glad that we finally found a time that worked for both of us. Um, we've been connecting on LinkedIn, and I've heard a little bit about your integration journey early on. And uh, we haven't talked in a while, so I'd like to open it up by asking you to share how things have been going since last time we talked, since... I know you had some profound experiences with ayahuasca and these things always change us in some ways. And then the rubber hits the road and we go back to our lives and I'm sure you've made some changes. I know you've been traveling. How have things been? Like what, what kinds of things are showing up for you that, that you're growing through and learning through right now?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm currently in Portugal. So, you know, it's, it's been the first time in my life actually gone by myself somewhere. So yeah, um, something I wouldn't have contemplated um, before because I was always uh, with somebody or traveling with somebody and it's the first time I said, okay, I'm just going to go somewhere. So that's something that I hadn't done before and, and somewhere where I could go spend three months. <laughs> so a lot a lot has changed in terms of just what I'm doing recently, but many, many things have changed probably since my first psychedelic experience in in 2017. Um you know, my first changes probably happened in 2015, I would say, but I didn't have my first experience until 2017. And that was the, a recreational, um, experience. Um, and was the only, at that time it was sort of the first time in my life that I was able to see the world as a five-year-old child, which I'd never had the opportunity to actually do. I, I'm I, I didn't really have a childhood that I can recall that that was either happy or pleasant or um, uh, anything of the sort. I I, I was sent to a, a military boarding school at four and a half. I was handed off to a flight attendant and um and and uh, on a plane and went to a different country. Um, and um, you know my uncle put me on a on a train. I don't even remember who was with me. Um, I remember getting picked up at the other end of the, the train station, and I remember there's a picture of me crying on the train station, and then um, I was put in a bus, and it was like behind some cages, and um, I went into this cast iron gate, and the gate closed behind me, and then I didn't see my parents for nine months out of a year, from the time I was four and a half, till the time I was 15 when I graduated high school. Um, and that was my childhood. And none of it was actually fun. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I remember a fun time. So that's how I grew up. Um I mean I knew that it was the right thing for my parents to do, but for the longest time, you know, I I I, I was very angry at them and, and I was hurt and mm-hmm. I felt abandoned and all those kinds of feelings were there. But I knew that's what they were they were trying to just get me a good education. And, and, you know, I got a good education. So that was good. That, that's what allowed me to actually come to the U.S. when I was 16 years old and, um, you know, to attend college here. So mm-hmm. and my career took off from there. And, you know, I've been in working in tech after that. So, so the career was good.
0: Mm-hmm. So now what struck me about you talking about traveling so freely and by yourself is that sometimes we open up more socially. And given the past that you, you had as a child, I love to hear the stories about how after medicines people open up to this world as a, a massive playground. Suddenly it's like, wow, you know, I haven't looked outside of my own limited little life before, and now I'm ready to embrace the world. And it's never too late to to explore those childlike feelings and experiences in the world. And uh, it's, it's so wonderful to hear that you're having them. And I want to hear more about that. But another thing that came up when you were talking about this experience that must've seemed extremely brutal at the time um, for you to be separated from your parents in, in such a way, even though the version I'm going to speak of is doesn't seem as extreme it felt that way to me when I sent my son to school, you know, there's a very different relationship we have with little ones up until they go to school and it changes so abruptly, so completely. And I remember standing there and watching him, you know, being marched away and he was crying and other kids were crying and mothers were crying. And I'm looking around me thinking, how can this be right? How is this okay? You know? And, and I remember, thinking, I know this is something that people just have to get over and, you know, all those things. But Mm. somewhere deep inside of me, I thought, and then maybe for some of us, it's not okay. And maybe for some of us, we're not meant to go down this road. And at the time, I wasn't the only one making decisions about my, my son's life. And it's something that I didn't really have any capacity for pursuing any alternative at the time, but I knew in my mind, you know, there's something we're missing here, (laughs) you know, this forcing and separation. And it's pretty extreme for a lot of kids and a lot of parents. And I'm, I opened the door in that moment to another possibility down the road and I felt terrible guilt. And I, I, I just thought, how can this be so wrong when everybody does it and it's the thing to do kind of thing. It, it, it was breaking me, my brain in a way. I'm sure many people have seen things that everybody does in life and says, yeah, but it doesn't feel right. So yeah. years later, here we are, I'm homeschooling now and, you know, not structured. And boy, oh boy, are we growing together now because we have time. There's not all this scheduled mm-hmm. stuff going on. So we get to, I get to pick up on all of that, <laughs> that handed down stuff that we're playing out and, and I get to sit down and, and talk about it and work it through. There's no time in, in a typical scheduled life. There's not much time to do that and also enjoy and all those great things. So anyway, yeah. I just thought that I would yeah. comment on that because I think we can do better. And I know that at the time your parents were faced with that decision, there's all kinds of things that are brought to bear on that scenario it's like their their own conditioning their own circumstances you know their own sense of right and wrong and what they had actually intended for you and everybody's yeah. situation is different so uh, there's no judgment here it's just we there's so many possibilities for how we can do things differently right and i find that exciting
1: yeah I, I think that it's true like yeah i think when i first when i first you know for many years you know many decades like when i was working and Making my career in, in, in Silicon Valley, and uh, I was I was sort of self-absorbed into myself, and well, very stoic, and living what a typical Indian would would do. You know, you just very career-minded, very money-driven. It's what drove me, um, which was good conditioning for having a career in Silicon Valley, and 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 doing all the all the you know the, the technical software stuff that you get to do in Silicon Valley and you can make a lot of money doing that. And, but you know, you get, you get to a point in your life where you go and, and, you know, I was going, I didn't think about any of these things like, okay, that, that, that kind of happened. Um, uh, but I didn't even have time to like, really like go back and, and actually reflect, um, on that at all. Most of that reflection just happened probably in, in the last few years, you know, and that's when the reflection actually started to happen. But prior to 2015, I wasn't really reflecting on, on any of it. Um,
0: In those routes that we take sometimes, there's, there's not a lot of opportunity to reflect on who are we really, you know, rather than this seem to be set up before you career path of, you know, finish this, mm-hmm. do that, accomplish that. And, you know, engineering. And there may be parts of you that that is really your talent, but I mean, there's so many ways to go there, but, you know, the way that things seem to, the pressure seems to be led in society is down a very narrow path. And right. we are such unique beings with such unique talents. Even if they happen to be in that category, there's so many things that we can do with that. And that's what I see we kind of um, miss out on. And we discover through medicines like, oh, wow, it never occurred to me to take time to think about who I am and what I want and, and, and right. what kind of I have and how to apply those things. Right. It, it it's true like your whole my whole
1: identity was wrapped up in my career. But that that is what my identity was, you know. I didn't know I didn't know there was another side to me. I didn't even know that another side actually existed. So just just to be able to even discover that there is a side to me that I wasn't even aware is profound. It's it's mm-hmm. uh you know, it probably wasn't until I would say it probably wasn't until June of 2021 that I discovered there's a whole other side to me that, you know, I was changing. I was changing probably a little by little uh, because they were my friends who came up to me and said, you've changed a lot in the last few years. You know, they were telling me this back in 2021. And I had to kind of think back to say, what do you mean that I've changed a lot in, in these last few years? To me, the pivotal point was definitely like June of 2021. I think that's when I definitely remember that there was like a major shift that happened in my own psyche um that i could say yeah this is the moment this is the moment that, that that i'm actually becoming the person that i really want to be you know and and this is this is this is sort of a pivotal moment but up until that point like i was just trying to i was lost i was trying to figure out like i was i wasn't really happy i was by all external accounts, I should have been happy. I was successful. I was married to a beautiful woman. You know, I was living in San Francisco. I was traveling around the globe. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. I had no needs. I had, you know, I was like financially very, very stable and everything was great, but there was just something that was off. It was like, it was just, my life wasn't, it didn't feel fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't even know what triggered me to even ask that question but it just something was off, you know, and, and that's, I think that's what started the discovery process. I think the discovery process was me getting up on stage and telling the story for the first time in my life, telling a personal story. And I've done like hundreds and hundreds of presentations and I'm not scared about getting up on stage and doing that. But the first time in my life I was actually scared to get up on stage and tell a personal story.
0: Do you think it's because it was more meaningful? Yeah, because
1: I was I was saying something that I hadn't even contemplated or thought about. But, you know, I was lucky enough that, um, you know, a friend of mine said, you should get up and tell this story. And, and I said, OK. And then I reached out to the people like uh, there's a storytelling group in the Bay Area, sort of similar to the moth in l a, and And they said, "Yeah, we like your story. We want, we want to help you with your story." And so they worked with me for two two months and helped me like craft the arc of the story, develop the develop the storyline, and yeah, you know, it sort of had to make it into a digestible eight-minute segment. And then we there were six of us that we could get up on stage and tell a story, and there was like eighty people at the audience, and a lot of you know, a lot of my friends were there. Uh, my wife was there at the time, and I, had, you know, I had to sort of really think about that story, like what did it mean, because they were asking me the same thing, like it's a personal. You're telling a very personal story here, and so they they helped me like get to the root, the root of that story. And there was only one story. There's many other stories to tell, but but this was sort of the one story that was sort of the trigger for me to open myself up for the first time, to be vulnerable for the first time in front of an audience of 80 people.
0: That's you know? really powerful. And so back in 2021 then, when your friends started saying that, what kinds of things did you notice about yourself that you could pinpoint and say, yeah, I do know that these things have changed? What kinds of things that you noticed in yourself? The biggest thing that I went from this mindset of it's cliche,
1: but this mindset of transaction-oriented scarcity sort sort of thing where every relationship or every interaction is a transaction. You know, going from that mindset to being that sort of an abundance mindset where you just you just open yourself up to someone, even knowing full well that there may be people that would like disappoint you or hurt you or would take advantage of you, but 99.9% of the people are genuinely nice. And so if you're just yourself for the first time, it's sort of like creating a persona for every different person you talk to, because in, in the Silicon Valley world, it's sort of, oh yeah, I'm talking to this person. So why, why are they interested in me and why am I interested in them? And it's sort of some sort of transactional experience. So you have to put up some sort of persona in order to kind of deal with that person then you talk to a different person in a different persona a different person different persona and you keep having to deal with this and so it allowed me to sort of realize after that, it's like no i'm i'm just this one person you know i'm i'm this fluid dynamic person and i just want to be myself so i don't even have to think about what persona i need to put on or what suit did i need to put on to talk to this person you mm-hmm. know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna be myself And that allowed me to basically be completely stress-free and the stresses went away. I didn't, I no longer got angry. Um, I didn't get upset, you know, even if I was was dating someone, like I was was dating this, this woman and, you know, she would get mad at me all the time and, but I never got mad at her because when she got mad at me, I just, I would just give her a hug. (laughs) And, and she, she told me like, that's one of the parts she loved about me. She said, yeah, you you don't get angry, but you also like are loving and kind, and that that's the part of me that didn't exist prior to twenty twenty one. It was getting there, but it didn't exist. You know, the fact that I could actually feel the emotions that I could literally feel inside my body is it, like in June of twenty twenty one was the first time I could say I can really feel the pain. I can feel the joy. I can feel the bliss. I can feel love. The first time in my life that I understood what love actually felt like and I didn't feel these things uh, before because I just didn't know. I didn't know what that actually meant or what it actually felt like.
0: Yeah. As you said though, you know, you're being more yourself. So they were there. They just were suppressed by what you and many of us felt that you know, you needed to do to operate in this in this world that you found yourself in, this this societal climate, right? And a lot yeah. of us do that. They will pull out whatever and we don't even notice it's happening until they're brought to the surface by these medicines and suddenly they're so unpalatable and it's like, I can't do that anymore. And then you start to discover, you know, who you really are and how powerful it is to do something that's far more simple and just be who you are and and watch the path emerge right because all those people that you're not meant to associate with it's not going to serve you they kind of just drift away and then you know other opportunities present themselves because you're being you and it's this you know there's an elegance to this life when you when you do choose to live it that way because instead of you know breaking your brain over should i do this with this person or not it becomes, as you mentioned, like a more fluid thing and, and things just rise yeah. and to the surface and others fall away because you're being who you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you you, you no longer worry about other people's judgments, right? Because it's like, okay, that's your judgment. It has nothing to do with me. I feel comfortable with who I am. Sure. Um, do I make mistakes? Yeah, I make mistakes and I'm still going to make mistakes. Sure. I still may say the wrong thing to someone at the wrong time, you know? Um, but my heart's in the right place.: you
0: know? mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. like becoming more comfortable with with the fact that we will make mistakes, I think is really important, because you know we go much further and become even more fluid on this integration path once we are at peace with the fact that sure, we'll make mistakes and, and if we were compassionate with ourselves and others, you know it, it leads one leads to the other. if we're compassionate with ourselves about these mistakes that we'll make. And they're not really mistakes. They're learning opportunities and they're navigational tools in a way. But, you know, the more compassionate we become about that, the more compassionate we are with others, the more things work, you know, really, really well socially. Um, Before I forget, I wanted to go back to a statement you made about um, transactional relationships. And this is one that I'm sure a lot of people will find familiar because this is the kind of relationships that, whether we're aware of it or not, they're kind of encouraged and promoted and spoken yeah. about in society in a very matter-of-fact way that we become used to this idea of looking at relationships this way. Even though, uh, deep down, we all know this is a like, really ugly thing. <laughs> you <know>? Nobody wants <laughs> to live in a world yeah. that, that's like that, that's a commerce-based social you know, reality. And there is a choice in it. And we do make those choices because we feel that's the done thing. But, you know, when you come to recognize this, this is what I want to use to segue into this discussion about what's happening in a larger uh, context in terms of the psychedelic industry. So we now have this industry that wants to take these medicines and these psychedelics and Put them into the the context that is familiar, the kind of business transactional approach to, you know, the wellness world that that they're used to. Let's make it into a business. Let's look at our target market. You know, these are things that I think they're going to find are going to be awkward with these medicines because they don't operate that way. And they can do it. You know, it can be done. It's just just like us going about those transactional social social um, interactions, it's going to be more tough. It's going to be harder and more awkward and it's not going to flow. Once people start actually working with the medicines and working on themselves and starting to open up to how to approach these things differently and in keeping with the kinds of themes that are coming out of these experiences the compassionate open-minded creative respecting personal responsibility all these themes if they start to really engage with and own those aspects of themselves when approaching these decisions about about business we're going to see, you know, what's really possible with this. We're going to see something very special emerge, and this awkward period of trying to stuff it into this business model, you know, yeah. and, and watching the mayhem—it's <laughs> like this was inevitable. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's what people try. Even on an individual level, we try to, we try to, to work it, and then we realize it's going to work us, and we just have to allow it. <laughs> you know, then, then yeah, everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's what people
1: know, right? You can't blame. We can't blame. It's like, it's what people are familiar with. So they take something and they go, like, even going to the Psychedelic Science Conference, right? In Denver, right? It's like, it's a beautiful conference. It's like, okay, there's a lot of people. I made a lot of connections, talked to a lot of people. You know, beautiful, beautiful conference. But ultimately, it didn't feel like any different than any other conferences that I've been to. I've been to lots of conferences. Right okay, the subject is psychedelic, but it's the same freaking thing. You do the same thing, the same conferences, it's the same, the panel discussions were still mostly led by white people, um, still mostly led by white men, right? Even though they you know, they tried to sort of incorporate indigenous cultures in, in other cultures and things like that, they tried, uh, but it felt such a tokenization um, thing, <laughs> rather than a genuine effort to write, you know, if I was doing a conference, like I, you know, I said, okay, if I was doing a conference, I'd start with the indigenous community and sure. the people of color and uh, all those people. And, and then the, the people on the panels would be second. Like I went to these things and a lot of the workshops that I went to, I said, okay, I've already heard all of this stuff. If, if you pay attention to the industry and, you read and I've read, okay, I've, there was nothing new there. Like, mm-hmm. what is new in in what you're trying to say here? You're giving the same people who are already famous a podium to speak to the same people who have already heard this stuff before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it sounds really familiar to, you know, our way yeah. of doing things that hasn't worked out very well. But you know what I found interesting is that, and, and this is true, these are like greater overarching themes that, you know, once we start um, to allow the medicines to lead, to allow these themes to lead um, and turn everything on its head, that's when things start to really go forward. So they did have a shaman speak. And when mm-hmm. he spoke, it would be nice to see some, some female representative there too, because it's, it's mm-hmm. good to hear both sides of that too. But essentially they do have messages about love and about compassion Mm -hmm. and the vision of what, what could be, you know, and it's so inspiring. And it's like, let's start there instead of end there, instead of the token voice and, Oh yes, nice message. It's like, why don't we actually start with that and build based on that? So instead of the kiosk and all the rest of it, let's see what we can create out of love. Let's see what we can create with coming from that place and that's not something that can be foisted on anybody. It has to be a decision. And all I'm hoping is that that's a decision people will come to because after trying the other ways, they'll start to see, hmm, we're right back where we began, and it's starting to kind of seem familiar in not a good way. <laughs> and, yeah. and I know there's, there's more possible. And it'll take time. We're, it's just growing pains, yeah. right? And it's, yeah. it is. Well, even though I I see where you're coming from about, you know, representation, if we start to actually truly genuinely embrace, you know, what we know to be more real about us, which is, you know, the love, compassion, creativity, um, you know, celebrating the uniqueness of who we are. If we just do that, you know, we won't have to sit and calculate who has been shown enough or has the podium, this will not be an issue. It'll naturally unfold because that's where we're beginning. Mm, mm, This is what we have to start to learn to do because then it becomes a less cumbersome thing and a far more natural thing because this is really who we are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think if we start from that place, I think, yeah, it will be. But you're right. If it's growing pains, you know, it's what people know, and and um, you know, it's a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I think we're we're still super early in the process. It will outlive me. I'll be dead, you know. It'll be still developing, and so <laughs> but okay, you know, like I'll, envision, I'll be, I'll do my part, you know.
0: <laughs> let's envision the possibility that okay, and and in this case, we can even take modern industry and all kinds of like startup examples where someone's going to take this and run with it. Someone's going to get it more than someone and they'll take off and be so successful that everybody else will look and go, ah, okay, I think maybe we should do that. And there'll be copiers and then there'll be people who genuinely embrace it and get the fact that no, actually the appearance of it is not as important as the, the, the real doing of it, the real being of it. Like, so for example, you've got these companies that are going, okay, now we've got a budget for wellness because we've decided people should be well in our company. (laughs) It's like, it's so funny to see this unfold at the same time, right? And then there's yoga and there's all, and all great stuff. But the truth of the matter is, whoever's holding space, whoever is setting the tone of that environment that they work in those are the people that's the person who needs to actually become well so that they can create the conditions under which other people want to you know (laughs) express their talents and and explore their fears and and all of these things and then things will really explode in a positive way but again it's it's starting because well, we discover through medicines, we're doing a lot of things upside down and backwards, right?
1: Yeah, so exactly.
0: It'll just take some shifting, but some people will do it. They'll just, they'll do it and everybody will see because they will be successful and people will talk about it because we all, we all want this. We all recognize when something is good and real and, and it's working, you know?
1: I think that's, that's true. I think it's you know it's like everybody is coming to it from their own. I think in your podcast with Tim, you know, he, um, he he was he was saying that you know look, I think we don't we can think about competition differently. You know, there's plenty of room for for everyone to cooperate and collaborate. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. there's you know there's this 8.1 billion people on this planet. You know, and and probably. Good, sixty-six or sixty-seven percent of that uh, population can seek well-being through these medicines, you know. And there's just so many people that can access it and can seek it. And you know, there's this diff- there's this dichotomy that that we have. We think, oh yeah, because we we just need to look at the research, and the research has to be done, and people need to be put through this medical medicalization funnel, which is a limited funnel uh, that people have to shove through, you've got to define people with some sort of condition or some sort of box so that you can shove them through this medical model, which is expensive and gatekeeping and going, no, there's people actually who want to seek well-being for themselves that need to be able to access these things for themselves. They don't need a, a, someone with a Ph.D. or an M.D. telling them, oh, yeah, you can't access that unless we give you some sort of label and you got to come to us because we're the so-called experts and that's mm-hmm. who, who is going to be the provider of well-being for you, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if he, if he can't label you in some box or if he can't shove you through our medical health insurance system, then guess what? You, you know, you can't trust anything that goes out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not the way that i think about things anymore it just i think there's good reasons to have people go through this traditional you know at least in the us a very broken freaking healthcare system which is super expensive and then we go oh yeah let's just shove the psychedelic ones also through this broken healthcare system and somehow that's going to be better It's just not going to be better. You know, it's like, yeah, if you're schizophrenic or if you're bipolar, you know, one, um, you know, okay, yeah, for you, the medical model is a good option. But for probably 80, 90% of us, it's actually not a good option. Mm -hmm. The pharma stuff sucks. My sister suffers through depression. She's taken all kinds of pharma shit. Uh, And guess what? None of that's really helped her, right? It's like she's gone for six months and I can't reach her sometimes. So... I didn't need a doctor to give me a, a diagnosis for me to know that I needed to change who I am and try to be the real person that I want to be. Nobody <laughs> had to give me a diagnosis to do that.
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, there, another thing that, you know, I hope that people are starting to realize is that there has to be a healthy relationship. Between people who are going for who have agreed to, to heal and those who are assisting them, it's instead of this you know paternalistic model that is, is awfully familiar, you know people genuinely do know what they need deep down inside, and the medicines just help us mm-hmm. you know the catalyst. Dis- yeah, to, yeah. They, they help us go in and discover that. And the rest of the people hold space for, for that, you know. I mean, I do this with hypnosis, and I see that people do know. And I keep reinforcing that. You do know what's going on. You just We just have to get to that point inside of you that reveals that to you. And then all that does is that builds up our own capacities and our own understanding of what is possible and that we can become self-reliant. We can start to navigate our own world without this dependency of other people being the experts on us. You know, it takes over a lifetime, I think, sometimes to really get yeah. that to that deep, deep story of who we are and all that, that comes with that. No one else can know that, right? But they can, yeah. they can help people hold space and support people through that process of discovering it for themselves. Once we start to yeah. do that and approach it from that standpoint, that's mm-hmm. great. I, it'll be a big shift for, for some doctors. Some of them have because they've started to heal themselves. And that's really what it comes down to is people starting to do the work themselves and, and wanting to. We can't impose this on people because it's something that's a personal choice. We can encourage it. We can inspire it. I think that that's the best way that we can go about this. If we really want to see these changes take place, inspiring these changes is, in my opinion, the best way to go about it because then it's free choice. And then people approach it from a standpoint of of love. You know, it's a form of love inspiration. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. I, I yeah. want to embrace this, not, oh, if that's what's expected to me because it's an industry standard or, other people are going to think terribly of me unless I live up to this idea. Right. This is how to go. <laughs> We've got to yeah. really get the heart of ourselves and just keep moving <laughs> forward with that, and that's going to lead us everywhere we want to go. And it'll take work because of this conditioning, but it can be done. Yeah. Oh really yeah, can. totally. It's like I think that it's. I think people are waking up to it, and the more.
1: I mean, part of it is good that you know there's a lot of press and. You know, people talking about it. it is becoming the con- The conversation is becoming more mainstream, you know, and in a way that's good. Yes, there's a lot of hype with it. Right. Which is comes with the package in, in, in a society like, OK, you get a lot of hype that everything's like psychedelics, the cure for all. And it's going to be the thing for all the way the press writes articles and headlines. It's like we've seen this movie before, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like uh, and I'm very conscious and aware. That's why you know if you see my posts, it's like I say it's not all hype. You know, it's like you have to be super careful. These things are just they're catalysts, yes, but they're very fast acting and very strong catalysts. And you know you need to have them with the right people guiding you. Yes, you can do it yourself. We people do it recreationally, but I know a lot of my friends do it recreationally, but that doesn't mean that they learn much. From it, doing it recreationally, do they have fun with it? Yes, they have fun with it. and it's great. they They are you know they can discover certain parts of it. But there's a very, very different aspect to doing it recreationally versus going inward on a journey in a therapeutic level, facilitated session with a trusted guide, shaman, facilitator, practitioner, right? It's a very different experience. I don't I do my I do my psychedelics recreationally. But I've done my faculty recreationally after my therapeutic level experiences, right, which I've had several
0: yeah, and I think that we can see that it's possible for the lines the lines to blur. Um, intentions are really powerful, and mm-hmm. Even just even take a look at at your life and the challenges that you faced from such a young age, by the time you were doing psychedelics, uh so-called recreationally, that's therapeutic. You just having fun and letting go and letting loose and laughing and feeling joy, that is therapeutic in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it, it and it was for me. Like it was like sure it was. <laughs> it, it was absolutely beautiful. I think it, you know, yeah. The, yeah. When my first experience happened, it was absolutely um, beautiful. Like you know, like being free to be a five-year-old in an adult body and and just not caring about anything in the world and not worrying about anything in the world and just hugging people and just yeah. thinking everybody's so beautiful. It's just like it was just an amazingly beautiful experience. I didn't even know what it was at the time. Right. Like I had no freaking idea what it was, and. It was after that that I realized that my my analytical, my logical brain kicks in and go, "What the hell was that?" and who gave me who gave it to me? And then I, that's what started my research and studying about everything that that I wanted to know about psychedelics and how it acted on my brain, you know. And um, and and that that to me is was the learning experience that I needed to have. But it also took me. Then I realized, that, oh shoot i really want to do this sort of in a intentional you know facilitated with the right person experience because then it then i started my search and it took me 3 years to find somebody to help me with that aspect mm-hmm. of it
0: we will get into the mind-lumen discussion because I know that you're doing some great work in helping people with that and helping make that not such a long and arduous journey. But I want to get back for a moment before we get into that to this idea that, you know, we box things up, right? Okay, this is therapeutic and that is recreational. And there's an element to these experiences that doesn't know these boxes. But, they, but there's intention is certainly a strong element at play there. So Mm -hmm. if we say it'll be recreational, sure, but recreation can be the medicine that we need. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's also a reflection of our mindset that has been conditioned over time that, you know, there's play and then there's work and then there's therapy. And and it's like it's all boxed up. But the truth is our lives are more fluid. We may not see it that way. But if we. I've stumbled across this time when, you know, we had access or, you know, it was handed to us or whatever. We had an opportunity to, to have these psychedelic experiences, even not within that therapeutic intentional space or holding space in that way, we can still have highly healing experiences. I had this out of control laughing mushroom experience as a teenager and and I look back now at the time, I just thought, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, crazy drug, <laughs> laugh till I cry. But now I look back and I go, oh, I so needed that. Like that was a purge, right? And and it was yeah. it was so extreme because of the extreme need that I had at the time.
1: Yeah, it very well can be, right? I think, um, yeah, there are several people that will feel that. I think for me, it, it wasn't there. For me, it was my intentional was very intentional because I wanted to make sure that I could let myself go and not have to worry about myself. And when I'm even in the recreational setting, like if I'm at a festival or something, there's always things in my brain, even if I have intentions, Always in my brain that, Oh, I got to be careful about this. So I cannot truly let myself go to the extent that I want to let myself go.
0: Sure, I can't oh, like yeah. drop
1: my ego completely. Right. Because yeah. I still have to worry about my safety and I make sure I don't step on the wrong thing or don't fall into the lake. Or, you know, like there, there's there's lots of things that are in my mind at the time that I'm still super cautious about. Um, and so I can't truly let myself go. The only time I was able to let myself go was when I was in, in a setting where I didn't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Let it all and- go.
0: Sure, and that's the intention, but to some degree, I think you were, um, by degrees letting go somewhat more than normal, yeah, exactly, and that's, yeah, and that. Self is is highly beneficial. I think that deep mm-hmm. down inside we are pursuing them on some level. They don't just yeah. they do arrive yeah. in front of us, but we on some level we're steering toward it because there's a deeper part of us that says, "I know I need something. I know." <laughs>
1: you know yeah, I ex- exactly. Something. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. We're always <laughs> you're always trying to like you know even little bits right are helpful. Right. So much helpful to to let us go. Um, it's just my, my profound, the most profound experiences, you know, was, my most yes. profound was with seven grams of mushrooms. And that was such a such a deep experience that it really completely, like, I woke up the next day, I'm going, holy cow, this is just nothing like I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm going, it completely changed, changed me
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in a very, very drastic way. And, and, um, you know, it's like, since then, obviously, you know, yeah, LSD experiences and ayahuasca experiences and 5 MEL experiences, they've just added two things, but there's nothing that I can, even my ayahuasca experiences, while they've been very profound, they weren't as profound as my seven grams of mushrooms. It's just, it was a very, very different level of experience even though like even my 5-MeO which is like the most powerful substance that you can take and and it was absolutely freaking just mind-blowing I, I mean I, I didn't even have words after that experience I like I could not could not fathom the words to to even talk about it when somebody was asking me like what was that like I was like I, I said oh my god I don't know how to explain this I, I do not know how to explain it um yeah. you know but even though I like went in with preparation and intention and in the diet and everything, right? I just I really prepared for going going in with intention. Even after that, I realized that, oh my God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with my faga experience. I don't know what to do with my ayahuasca experience.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know? Whereas my mushroom experience, I knew what to do with it. <laughs> you know. It was yeah. very different.
0: What I would say about that is maybe there's not a doing necessarily. Maybe it's just being with it and seeing how things unfold. And it seems like things are unfolding in beautiful ways. Like that logical and conditioned part of our mind wants to say, okay, I had this experience. Now I want to be able to relate everything that happens to it back to that, you know, and it's not always, it works. Right. And, and also we have everybody has different affinities with different medicines and we, Mm -hmm. their relationships they're they're yeah. genuine relationships they're different than how we think about relationships in everyday life but um they are and and those develop over time and change and and different medicines do different things for us and they they can be subtle at times or really profound but we might not always know how it's playing a role in our lives but
1: yeah it's
0: magical and it's not going to be boxed up much as we we try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree. It's it's like, you know, it's, it's not everything is sort of a learning experience. And I mean, I still struggle. I still struggle with a lot of my integration and, you know, I still struggle with um, a a lot of things in my life, you know, there's, there's, um, but now the difference is sort of recognize my struggles and I'm aware of my struggles and, And I feel really, really sad in days and I feel super euphoric in other days. And and there's days I just feel like in this beautiful state of blissful flow, you Mm -hmm. know, which is something I didn't really have. And I've Mm -hmm. had since my psychedelic experiences, I've had more moments of bliss in my life than at any other point ever, Mm -hmm. you know, and even to the point Where when I was in a relationship, with my girlfriend it's like, even after you make love to that person, I'm able to express it to her in that moment to tell her that, honey, I'm in a beautiful state of bliss with you right now. Something I was never able to do ever.
0: Mm -hmm. That's beautiful.
1: And that's something that I feel like I don't feel like guys can't do that in a lot of ways, you know, and like for me it doesn't threaten my masculinity in any way because I have my feminine side and I have my masculine side and I'm able to be completely open and vulnerable about it and I'm not not fearful of that because it just feels good to me to express it.
0: Well, I mean, being honest and in the moment doesn't seem unmasculine to me at all. In fact, I remember so many of the lessons that I learned just after coming back from Peru and starting to, and there was so much to sift through, but I remember starting to appreciate aspects of masculinity that, that hadn't occurred to me before. And of course, femininity as well, you know, but I think I needed, I just, it's what I needed at the moment. And one of them was this direct honest, there is a place for the, the female sort of winding way, you know, of, of exploring and expressing, but there's also a place in time for the direct, you know, approach. And that's something that I started to appreciate far more, you know, and there's, there's of course the healthy version and then there's the not so healthy version of those things, but I don't see that as unmasculine at all. Right. And I think that these are things that we all have to learn for ourselves, you know, for, for each individual, what is the ideal masculine yeah. for me what is the ideal feminine for me for me as an individual as a unique individual right
1: or not even worry about it or not even worry to label it anything right just trying to like going back to our original concept we're just just being ourselves yes exactly um, you know it's like okay it that that just got to being myself this is yes. the part of being myself and it was not something that i was able to do before but now i can just I can just be that, and be okay with it, and it's and it's and it feels natural and normal. And yes. I don't even like to use the word normal. I just I like to use it. Feels right. Natural, to, yes, to, to do it. Because what is normal? I don't know what normal is anymore. You know, no, so it just well, feels natural. <laughs> you know,
0: well, when you think of what normal really means, it's normative, and the norm is not necessarily a healthy thing. So natural yeah. is. It feels like a better word in these circumstances because we're starting to discover what's natural. And I absolutely agree with you in terms of like we don't necessarily have to categorize everything. But I do think that sometimes for some people, like it did for me, it came up as a lesson around appreciating certain aspect of masculinity because I needed to I needed to understand that. And I needed to feel it. But for you, it came up as this is just me. And that's beautiful, too. You know, and then afterwards, the questions, masculine, feminine, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This segues beautifully into just appreciating how this conversation has flowed, how you've shared so openly and and authentically and the things that have come up in our discussion that I think were meaningful and the most important and Let's sort of compare that um, because, you know, we can see the relationship between the personal and then what's happening in the outer world, right? The reflection outward, going back to industry and the tendencies that we see playing out there, that we have these posts all about like these. uh, I mean, if we if we looked at it percentage wise, we would see an enormous amount of posts on on studies, studies and outcomes and this disorder. Mm disordered use and the words themselves just suggesting that we are not feeling (laughs) our way through this in a way that the medicines are constantly reinforcing within us how this is the important thing to do right not it's not about the numbers and the graphs and It is about the experiences and what they're revealing to us. Let's talk about that, because the more we talk about that, the more that's going to change, the more industry is going to have to follow, because they're going to see that this is the enormous outcome. This is the outcome in action, and it has a life of its own. It reaches people on a personal level. And when people start to connect with those stories and with that reality, then it's going to shape things, right? It's going to shape um, where they choose to go and how those places that they're going to, whether they, you know, have that element um, of natural expression or, or do they feel authentic or do they have just this whole science study front that you can't penetrate, you know?
1: Yeah, you can't. You can't discuss the. You, know, you can't talk about it. I mean, they. Every. You know, scientists like want to talk about things in statistics, like oh what's the n and what's the number it's like it's all but it just doesn't feel like the it's like the experience is experiential the experiential is so much more powerful when you talk about psychedelics than a bunch of numbers about oh it did this and whether you had that and yeah if you're like if you if you're dealing with some specific illness that's sort of that can only be you know dealt with from a medical standpoint but from a safety perspective it makes sense. That when even when we talk about safety in the medical context, it's really about physical safety, not about mental safety. All the safety things have to do with physical safety.
0: There are aspects of safety that, that are important too. I mean, I think you know, many of us are starting to recognize when we step into an atmosphere where there's a lot of judgment and repression, and this is not mm-hmm. an atmosphere that feels safe where people can explore themselves and their psyche. And if right, look, it no is. Matter that's
1: not. what the medical model does. But yeah, they don't They don't look at those things. Like they're looking at like, you know, the the physical safety aspects of it. The whole notion even of, doing these studies. It's like a, you know, I always said it's sort of a square peg in a round hole situation because they're trying to do this sort of double blind study and everybody freaking knows that you're (laughs) taking a placebo. It's like the the whole mental, the model is like completely freaking broken. So, but people have to kind of shout things in these boxes because they don't have any other option other than like, Just go uh, go underground because that's your option, you know, (laughs) and that's fine. I'm okay with that. You know, great.
0: Well, and we do see this, right? And we, it's important to appreciate, of course, too, that there is a place for observation and recording experiences, but. You know, part of science is also, you know, setting up a study where people have experiences, and then they ask, "So, what was your experience?" And all of what we're talking about is that. So, this yep. is not outside of that. It's just they reduce it to these numbers and leave out this juicy, important, relatable, profound yeah. stuff. You know, and that is what's missing. But fine, do your studies on the rest of it. It's just. It's because it's familiar and it's because people feel safe in it. And that, that's shifting. People are getting it and they're changing and it's going to take time. But there, as I said, there are people who will show up differently and oh, yeah. there's oh, gravity yeah. toward it. There's others who will feel safe there and then they'll discover themselves and they'll, they'll move into a bigger understanding of, you know, maybe what oh, I thought yeah. was. Or is different than what I feel is now and all those things and it's there's a place for all of it it's okay that we'll fall down yeah. and do silly things and you know it's okay all of it it's like it'll it will get there if we just keep keep moving forward with it you know we'll we'll
1: Yeah <laughs> it, it it definitely is like I got that's why I was I was very 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 happy when um you know I got to I got to um go to the first ever Sort of Hopkins, Oxford Psychedelic Conference, Ethics Conference. And, and, you know, I spoke there and I was invited to speak there. And there were people who were, you know, medical researchers. They were anthropologists. They were, you know, people from the indigenous community. There were philosophers. You know, it, it was like, a, it was a good mix of people to discuss the ethics in, in the psychedelics, you know, industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, even though, you know, even though the audience, even though the bulk of the speakers were primarily, you know, um, you know, researchers and academics and coming from the medical community, even though it was heavily skewed, there was still these diversity of voices that were looking at it from very, very different angles, you know. And that was a, such an interesting, you know, two days uh, conference to be at because it was just like wow you know people looking at it from an anthropological perspective and people looking at it from a philosophical perspective you know what does morality mean you know and and where do we get you know how do we get our cognitive freedom uh, to be able to decide for ourselves that is that actually wrong for us to not have that cognitive freedom to be able to use these substances for ourselves without gatekeeping and and um you know, someone making a decision for us, you know, whether we should or shouldn't.
0: Where are they coming from, right? And what does that have to do with their own personal journey? This is exactly this is important discussion. But another thing that I recognize, too, is that it's obvious that it's going to try to be stuffed into these holes. And that What comes out of it, too, is a tendency that I find very typical of society. There's all this critique of how these people did it wrong and those people did it wrong. And, I mean, it has its place, again, just like the studies and all the rest of it, but it's heavy, heavy, heavy on that. How about, here's what we would like to see, here's what feels good. Inviting people to consider this aspect of the experience and of exploring moving forward in this way, and this is what we'd like to see more of it's a far less punishing and more inviting kind of approach to things and more inspiring. And I think that the more of us that are out there doing that, the more inviting that will be, because I'll tell you, I haven't personally engaged in this way or considered, I have briefly, but um, not seriously uh, opening a center, but even the thought of it, it's so intimidating. The, the, The amount of responsibility that people take on, like, (laughs) <laughs> it's not surprising to me that that there's you know big mistakes and all these things that mm. aren't considered and yeah you know there there are people out there just doing the best they can taking all of their wounds with them um, for those who aren't working on them even for those who are you know there's stages and layers and all this stuff for all of us you know let's just take a deep breath and admire the fact that people are are courageously doing this despite all of those intimidating factors and encourage mm-hmm. and inspire rather than reprimand. And you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, everybody needs to do their part and everybody's doing their part, coming at it from different spaces and different angles and trying to do what they can. Like, you know, we, and yeah, we, it's not, you know, yeah, we need to make sure that people can be safe and, and make sure that they, you know, somebody just doesn't put up a shingle and say, yeah, I'm a shaman. And, and you know, I've, I've heard lots of horror stories um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, about people, you know, and it's like, it, you know, uh, shamans who ask someone to, you know, just divorce their husband or something like that. Like, they're not supposed to do that kind of stuff. You know, okay. so there's, there's a lot of horror stories out there. And, and
0: there are with
1: and medical models, too. That's right. Exactly. There are, right. exactly. There are medical do. models, too. Yeah, that's, that's the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've experienced it myself. So this is not necessarily the answer. You know, That's it, right. it's not like, oh, okay, once you get all the training and degrees, then you're gonna be good to go. That does not mean right. who has explored your wounds and is utterly committed right. personally for your own reasons to heal. Yeah. It can't That's be right. to impress um, a board of, you know, of decision makers. Um, it has to be something that you are utterly compelled to do because you want to, because you're inspired. In and of yourself. Correct. No, you must. And that's, and that's the
1: change. Like the change, I think, that we need to see, Rebecca, is like, there's a sort of inherent assumption that, oh, you know, if it goes to the medical model, it's somehow better.
0: Yes.
1: Or it's more trusted or whatever. It's just not the case. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. lots of shit going wrong in the current medical system. Look at our U.S. medical system today. It's just not the case. So mm-hmm. we cannot just, but we we somehow put people on pedestals, you know, because they have a bunch of letters behind Thank them. You. Then it's not that it's not that they're not good people. They are. I've met very wonderful people who are doing this work very very diligently and and very thoughtfully and and they're very very diligent about trying to do these things, right? But the system as a whole. Is sort of elevated to this level because of the society does this and somehow thinks that, oh, yeah, there's at some pinnacle, and only if it's through that pinnacle, that model, that it's better. But if it's not through that model, it's somehow not good or not better. And that yeah. just isn't the case. You know, it's just like there's, there's mistakes on all sides, you know, there are bad things happening on all sides. And we need to put those things in perspective, and yes. you know, and 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 you know, my role is is to say, okay, yeah, I don't care if you're going to a ketamine clinic, but just because you're going to a ketamine clinic doesn't mean it's the most ethical and reputable ketamine clinic. Yes. you know,
0: yeah. I mean, another thing is that we're learning to do too is to again start to tap into our own intuition and start to really cultivate that, because the outside world will have all kinds of opinions about this. But then there is this internal navigation system that the medicines are helping us to improve, discover, um, explore, and have a better relationship with. So let's start now. And I'm not saying that at the beginning there won't be some bumps in the road. Of course there will. We, we're not used to navigating our world this way. But it is ultimately, I think, where we need to go because we can't have, if we're really going to be personally responsible, which again is another tremendous theme that we're getting through all this work with medicines is that this is something we have to come to terms with, then we can't hold some advisory board responsible. We have to hold ourselves responsible. You know, the whole medical system, the way it's set up and the kinds of protections that they have and then, you know, censures and all of this, it's all about, you know, Carrot and stick, and 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 avoid being punished or found out. I have all these lawyers to protect you. It's it's a very harsh system. What I envision for you know the medicines, if we allow them to drive us, if we allow them and what they're teaching us to to you know to guide us, is is more of a fluid system, more of one that is that is about learning, you know, by discovering and being okay with admitting when we're wrong and saying, what can we learn from this? You know, not, oh, how dare you? And you're out of it and you're punished and banished forever. It's like, and and if that person's wound showing up in that experience, then let's, you know, let's provide an opportunity for that person to explore that and, and really heal. Wouldn't that be inspirational instead of this, you know, shaming and, and, and all of this harshness, you know, we really have to find a way to approach things differently, and we will have such different results, I believe. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think, I think we, need, we needed a very different approach.
0: Um, yeah. So let's now talk about what you created in Mind Lumen to help people who are navigating that initial sort of, where can I go to get medicines? What, how do I navigate this whole um, world of psychedelics and the possibilities of, you know, um, modalities and options and all of these things.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we, like it, it obviously started like after my, after my experience and, you know, the, the, the difficult journey that I had. Um, so it's, it's designed primarily as a, you know, a harm reduction navigation service. So I, I don't want to even call it harm reduction because it's really a risk reduction uh, navigation service, right? It's, it's, there's always risks involved, life is full of risks. But our goal is to be very, very seeker focused, the people that are seeking. That's what we don't call, it's, we use the term seeker very deliberately because I don't call it patients or clients or users. Those are all capitalistic transactional terms. Even the way the VC sort of measures, oh yeah, what's your monthly active users? You know, Mm -hmm. like that. just those metrics don't make sense. You know, they just don't make sense for what we're trying to do. And, you know, when a VC asked me like, oh, yeah, so what's your monthly active user growth? I'm going, yeah, we don't think about them as users at all. You know, we we think about them as people that are seeking well-being for themselves. First of all, that's the distinction we make. We make Mm -hmm. a distinction that you're seeking well-being for yourself. You are taking responsibility for yourself. You're coming Mm -hmm. to me to make sure that I can navigate you to the most ethically and the most reputable facilitator and journey space or retreat. That's what we do. We match speakers to the most ethical and reputable facilitators and journey spaces. You know, that's uh, journey spaces being retreats. It could be clinics, you know, so that's both above ground and underground. We don't supply the substances. We're not in the business of supplying substances. I don't deal with substances at all with the services, uh, services, business and services platform and everybody pays, right? It's not like, oh yeah, I'm winning. You know, a lot of people told me like, yeah, you should just charge the facilitators and make it free for the seekers. And I said, yeah, if I did that, then what I would happen, I would be beholden to where my revenue would be coming from, which is just from the facilitators. And my whole point is that I'm very seeker focused, so that would be going against what my philosophy is, you know, and not being seeker focused. So,
0: so this leads to regenerative capitalism, and I know that's a big topic. But if you could, yeah. So sort of within that context, kind of like explain how that works a little bit, and then, and then provide the website and maybe where people can reach you as well.
1: Yeah. So regenerative capitalism actually comes from, you know, uh, the environmental movement, right? It, it, that's where it came from, and. The idea is simple in the sense that they're local communities. So you, you know, you're in local geographies, local communities, and you, and you work within the local community, the local, ge- and then you, you interconnect to the other local communities. And so the, the, the circulatory system, you know, happens within the community. So the seekers, you know, will pay for services for, from the facilitators, and you can create sort of an economy based on that. That's some of the nonprofit work. That we want to do because that's we use MindLumen as a way to generate revenue to fund the nonprofit side, right? So that's it's a hybrid model, which is very similar to Maps uh, that we use. So the the so MindLumen is going to be a public benefit corp, and then there's going to be a nonprofit which does some of the more research oriented work on regenerative capitalism, on ethics adjudication, on on distributed and decentralized governing models. And those types of things take a lot of research and energy and that that all that work happens in the nonprofit side, because that's something that's not something that's going to happen immediately. And no VC is going to freaking fund that. So mm-hmm. we use that. We use MindLumint as a platform for us to generate the revenue in order for us to pay for the for the nonprofit work. And that's where we do things like, hey, how do we subsidize people who can't afford access? You know, how do we? Uh, How do we pay for practitioners to get educated and trained and and keep trained? Like, how do we, how do we subsidize that? You know, Mm -hmm. so we, we we need, we need to figure out a revenue source to make that happen. And so that's what we're using Mind Lumen for as sort of the initial sort of a tip of the spear to sort of create, create a platform to provide a value, a valuable service from which we can generate the revenue and that revenue pays. For, for the nonprofit work that we want to do.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, I love this. Okay, so let's share the website and your contact information, if that's something you feel comfortable doing, if people want to reach out and maybe collaborate or become involved in some way, if there's if that's an option.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the website is mindlumen.xyz. It's M-I-N-D-L-U-M-E-N.xyz domain. And they can uh, reach out to me at heal at mindlumen.xyz. That's the best way to reach me. And also they can people connect me on on LinkedIn. Uh, Most people connect me on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, Instagram, um, all of those things. And all of that links are available on the website. So they can reach me that way. It's perfectly fine.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today and good luck with everything. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll keep in touch.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. It was great chatting with you.
0: Thanks for joining us for another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Please visit RebeccaHayden.com for more Ayahuasca integration content and for information about working with me and using hypnosis as an empowering integration tool.